0: The best day of school is the last day of school. You guys joining the other kids for the big tailgater? Yeah, I'm not really in the mood for date rape right tonight.
1: Okay, well, have a great summer.
0: Too dark. Well, does your family still go to Sun River every summer? We probably won't make it. So, you're just gonna hang out with your pops then? Shut up, Shelly. I'm the girl whose dad died. Remember? Joey, stop
1: that. Dad would have thought that was funny.
0: I'm at a loss. Don't worry, we'll take good care of her.
1: So Joey, you have a boyfriend?
0: Good afternoon, Roy. Hello, Joseph. Hello, Margaret. Hi. Is that your granddaughter? Stuck with us all summer. Victor's back with us again. Who knows how long this time. Why don't you jump on my bike and tear through the neighborhood?
1: I'm sorry I scared you
0: i know what i saw i was just doing one of my performance pieces for who for myself i met a boy hello and welcome to the matt's movie reviews podcast i am your host matthew perkovich and this is episode number 307 out now on demand is my summer as a goth a coming-of-age movie that stars natalie shershow as joey a grieving 16 year old who during the summer holidays falls in love with Victor played by Jack Lewis and his goth lost lifestyle featuring great performances in a winning screenplay. My summer as a goth convincingly portrays the highs and lows of first love in the rocky path taken to find a true identity. And joining me now on the Matt's movie reviews podcast is the director of my summer as a golf, Tara Johnson-Mendinger. Tara, I thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: So, I've been doing a lot of research, listening to a lot of your interviews, and I I heard that the origins of this film is a screenplay that you wrote with a good friend of yours, Brandon Lee Roberts, and the inspiration for this was those 1980s specifically kind of teen movies at the time. I imagine it would be like a lot of the kind of John Hughes films and, and the like. What was it about those kind of movies that really resonated to you both that made you want to create your own version of this type of teen movie?
1: So Brandon and I both, we went to high school together. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've known each other for a long time. And we came of age in the late 1980s in Salem, Oregon. And uh, we were influenced hugely by those uh, teenage films of the time. You know, You're Pretty in Pinks, Your Breast Breakfast Club, Some Kind of Wonderful. Lots of those John Hughes uh, films were super important to us as youth. And uh, Brandon presented me with the original script of My Summers of Goth in 2009. And uh, we, we wanted to, I, I was completely drawn to it. And over the years, uh, we worked together. I became a co-writer on the script. We developed it, uh, refined some things, uh, changed some things, you know, lots of, lots of development before we even got to production but we wanted to present a really smart coming of age comedy that was more mm-hmm. reflective of today's youth, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of things have happened. You you look at those kind of John Hughes, 1980s films, sometimes 1990s films through today's lens. And you think, whoa, there's lots of problems here, <laughs> you know, in terms of like, you know, just how people are presented and otherness, like making fun of otherness, that is very prevalent in uh, a lot of those films. And we wanted to take that genre and kind of flip it, right? And yeah. and freshen it up for today's youth to be more current uh, with a lot of the issues that we talk about in this film. You know, forward facing about grief and otherness, uh, gender identity and gender fluidity those are things that were super important to us in terms of you know just presenting it in a very normal way right um you know a lot of films tend to be like have these gotcha moments on you know if someone comes out or there's a gay character or someone who looks different and and we we really wanted to just be more subtle with that and um So that was a big part of kind of refining the script in those moments uh, throughout the film.
0: I'm just curious, though, in the inspiration of the films that you took from the 80s and updating it to today's, you know, conventions and norms and such, what was your in? I mean, what was it? How could you tap into what's going on with kids these days? Are you on Brandon dressing up as teenagers and posing like 21 Jump Street or something like that? Or do you have, <laughs> um, like, what? what is it? How do you tap into that kind of thing to make sure you can get the authenticity that really is reflected in your in your movie?
1: Uh, thank you. Um, we did a lot of research, honestly. I mean, we, you know, over the years, both of us have just, like, consumed teenage movies and, you know, had a really good understanding of that genre Uh, but also when we were getting to the final stages of feeling like the script was ready um, I have a you know I'm pretty connected here in Portland uh, with the film community Uh, one of my friends runs an acting studio Mm. that's specifically for teens and kids and I said to her like hey could we bring this in uh, bring our script in can we do a like a cold table read with your teen actors and get their impression of this film. Yeah, It was important for us to just like really, you know, immerse ourselves in that demographic and say, is this working? Like, does this like, are you digging it? Is it the story for you or are we completely off base? Like that was an important like tool to use in terms of, gaining feedback from what we consider our core audience. And through that experience, we just, you know, we got, we gained a lot of knowledge and, you know, they had no idea what we were bringing in for them to read. We didn't prep them at all. It was very much like it unfolded, the story unfolded as we are reading it. Uh, one thing that we did the next week as we came back and we did what we thought was like a mock um, audition, with all of the kids and uh during that audition we actually found natalie who plays our lead role of joey Mm. and that was like a complete surprise like we were not even prepared and thinking about when we would go into production but like when natalie auditioned it was like joey appeared in the room with us it was like quite a magical experience and um so something that you know, she really, like, identified with the character of Joey through that table read that we did. She really prepped her audition. She wanted that role, and it was something that got us closer to, you know, rolling camera. But we we worked with Natalie for almost a good six months before we actually went into production.
0: It's uh, really curious to me that, so... You were inspired by these films in the 80s and these days, 80s, everything is just really just kind of like reflecting a lot of cult, cult, uh, pop culture and a lot of new content, new, new series and such. Was there any type of, I, don't, I wouldn't say pressure, but any type of uh, curiosity of maybe going down that path or it as kind of like a period film? Because the whole kind of goth thing that was very much prevalent in the 80s as well, just as much as it is now, perhaps even more so back then. Um, was there any type of thought of, hey, maybe we could make this a period piece? Or was it important to make sure that the things that are happening today with teenagers is reflected in a material above anything else?
1: So we were we were always committed to making it like modern day, um, you know, present day. Um, we've been asked over the years, certainly this question of like, wouldn't it have been a better story to place in the 80s? And, you know, I... I think maybe there was a moment there we're like, well, should we consider that? But it just we we just really wanted to stay present day with it. Um, not only for the story that we wanted to tell, but as an independent production, doing anything that is set in a different time frame mm-hmm. can be challenging. <laughs> I mean, there's challenges already, right? But then you think about the other layer of authenticity of like, if you're set in the 80s and you do an exterior shot, you need to make sure like the cars in the background match that time frame. And yeah. that's cost you money. So it's you know, it, there are challenges to setting things in the past, um, you know, and for us, that was a like a financial consideration that we were not willing to, uh, you know, dive into. But we are also very committed to make it a present day story.
0: And I'm glad that you did as well, because if I watch another 80s set modern day kind of thing, I think I might scream because there's so many of them. Um, right. Why did the goth scene? Was that a scene that yourself and Brandon were a part of when you were uh, teenagers growing up? Is that something that you closely identify with?
1: Uh, absolutely. I think that, you know, we both had our times of, you know... Um, you know goth goth makeup and all of that stuff but we always were a part of the alternative crowd that hung out uh in downtown Salem and walked the mall and went to dance clubs and you know that was definitely our scene uh there's a line in the movie that the character Antonio has that he says we freaks gotta stick together Mm -hmm. it's like all the oddballs, weirdos, misfits, like we all found each other down there. Uh, whether, you know, we are all dressed as goth or punk or, you know, weird hippies, like it was a mix. And because there was a, a, a level of acceptance there that didn't necessarily exist in like our normal high school lives. Right. Yeah. So, um, so definitely Brandon and I gravitated to that, um, you know, lifestyle, subculture, you know. And, you know, today certainly appreciate the beauty of the goth subculture and, you know, have my own little kind of elder goth at heart moments (laughs) that, you know, are very much a part of my life still.
0: I'm curious about the relationship between grief and death and the goth scene itself. So... If you could look at, say, the wicked brother of the goth scene, which I imagine would be like the black metal scene, I know when they applied like their makeup and stuff, they call it corpse paint uh, because Mm -hmm. it kind of reflects like their kind of relationship, how they look at death in a much more macabre kind of way than I imagine the goth scene would. And in your movie, it begins in a cemetery and it ends in a cemetery. The character itself is in different places, but the setting's the same. When it comes to that relationship between the goth ideology, and grief and death. Where does that kind of all intertwingle, and especially in regards to the character of Joey in your movie?
1: Well, when we first meet Joey, she's in a really challenging place in her life. Like she's very sad. She's just lost her dad. She's grieving and rebelling at the same time. You know, Mm. she's trying to find a way to relate to people in a different way because she's just gone through a tremendous amount of loss and transition in her life. And, you know, she, she's already, like you said, we open in the cemetery, she's visiting her dad's grave. And so she's already very comfortable in that setting. It doesn't, it's not scary to her. She finds a lot of uh, comfort and relief and, and going and talking to her father. And I think that that, you know, that level She's already sort of like a graveyard girl in a way. And um, so when she is transitioned into a goth, I think it it not only helps her kind of bring a little bit of relief of not being seen as a girl whose dad just died. And, you know, she can slough off that identity that like all her high school friends are seeing her as and walking around on eggshells with her. Because she she really puts that aside when she is meeting Victor and his friends and immersing herself in his life. And it's a way to kind of transform, not only physically transform, but also emotionally bring some of that relief. And I think that what we wanted to do in terms of the goth subculture is like really show that appreciation of the darker things in life and the beauty um, in the darkness and um, I think Joey's already there. It's not a shock to her necessarily. I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, like, it's not, she's not, she's uncomfortable in that place, right? But she's in this midst of a major transition throughout the summer. Um, she's not going to do it perfectly. She's not going to, she's kind of trying to find her own way of doing her goth persona and, you know, she's getting bombarded by all these different people that, you know, are living in this subculture already. And, you know, she's still trying to manage her grief, but I think that there's that appreciation already of like seeing that, darker side of life and embracing it versus running away from it. And I think that Joey kind of settles into that very nicely.
0: A character who was definitely settled into as a character of Victor. I've heard you describe him before as a narcissistic, narcissistic character, excuse me. Um, and yeah. I'm just curious in regards to his personality, do you think his personality is reflected of the lifestyle that he's in, or do you think that he uses the lifestyle that he's in as a cover as to, for him to project that kind of uh, um, egocentric kind of personality?
1: I think it's a combination. Um, you know, <laughs> there are narcissists in every part of our culture that may identify and, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but I think that, there is a lot to the character of Victor that for this film, we weren't able to explore, but Mm. uh, Jack and I talked a lot about his backstory and, um, and what took him to this place. And I think that in Victor's a very troubled person. Like he's, he's wounded in a lot of ways and putting on I would say that, you know, he definitely digs the goth lifestyle and the way he looks and all of that, but he also uses it as a facade, as a protection device to kind of like present himself in this very grand way that can kind of help him not have to deal with, with what's really going on in his life. Right. So there's, um, I think that, You know, because this is Joey's story and, you know, there are there are moments that we can't we couldn't explore with him, with his character. And, you know, and but Jack and I also talked about because Victor is so narcissistic and so intense, like it was it was hard for Jack to just play that character that way. Like he was like, there has to be some humanity in this guy. And, you know, and so we talked about ways that we could bring that in, very subtle ways. And I think that you see moments um, where Victor drops his guard in a way and you know, feels maybe feels a little bit of sadness of maybe how he's treating Joey, but then it's like right back up. Right. And so again, if there's ever an opportunity to you know, enter this world again and make new stories revolving around these characters, that's a that's a character I'm certainly interested in diving into uh, in regards to their backstory.
0: And I think what's really cool of what you guys did with Victor is that you allowed the silliness of his seriousness to, to come through sometimes. There's that one scene right. where Joey and her friend are spying on him and her friend says, oh, my God, he's smoking, and then you switch the shot over to him and he's smoking this huge pipe And it it suits him. It's down exactly to who he is as a person, but just the look of it is just, you got to burst out laughing at the whole thing. I think I'm pretty sure that Jack really appreciated being able to put that type of dimension in it as well.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's some grandness, you know, to this kind of performance that he's putting on for Joey in a lot of ways, you know, that shot in particular that you're talking about is right outside of joey's window right he's very aware that she's there and looking at him so And, and
0: he knows that she's looking at him as well that's why he's there in the first place right yeah
1: yeah absolutely yeah
0: i think something that you guys really did nail in this film above all the other things as well is the music and when, when I was you know, a teenager, I also flirted with the, kind of like the cough scene as well, but I was coming from more like a, a heavy metal side of it, and my in was the music. So at that time it was like 95, 96, and bands like Typo Negative and Danzig and Marilyn Manson, they had that kind of dark edge to them and look as well. And I think what you guys did here with the music was really, really cool as well. Um, your music supervisor was, was Jana Cushman. How did you two really want to approach the music? in this? Because there's different ways you can go. You can go to a really heavy industrial way. You can go to a way of like something like The Cure or more kind of romantic kind of way to it. How did you really want to kind of approach it and find the right tone that suited the, the tone of the characters in the screenplay?
1: So uh, Jana and I met actually through the production of this film. So uh, their band, Dark Swoon, appeared in the movie, in the club scene. So okay. that's Dark Swoon performing. And and we were introduced through a mutual friend. I needed a goth band to play in the club scene. Uh, you know, a friend of mine who's a manager introduced me to Jana. And then they're in the movie. And uh, throughout the course of meeting them, we they came forward and said, hey, I really want to be more involved in this project. I'm really interested in um, score, doing original composition. And I loved their music already. Uh Dark Swoons music, we we asked to, you know, have a few of their songs in the film. Uh Jana has also worked at like at a club and knows a lot and you know performs frequently. So knows a lot of the current gar- goth and dark wave bands that are around town. And so they were really integral in terms of like cultivating relationships with uh, various bands that ultimately we we placed uh in the film there were a couple other bands that I had prior relationships to that you know we we also used their music um you know of course we had our original inspiration soundtrack that was based primarily on um songs from 80s goth bands and but uh, you know kind of going back to like what we were saying about this kind of new like setting a present day uh, coming-of-age film. We also wanted to do that with the music. Um, again, financially, clearing music is hugely expensive, yeah. right? And uh, especially if you're using stuff that is on labels and, you know, from the 80s and and things like that. Um, but I also wanted to bring forward a new vibe and, and really, like, celebrate all of these artists that are currently working today. And so Jana had a lot of these relationships and I'd be like you know for this scene I really you know want a cocktail Twins vibe and you know this is kind of the tone and the emotion that we want and they would go out and kind of like go through tons of um, albums and send me selections and uh, and then ultimately they also did the original score for the film and that was really cool. It was the first time that they had ever, you know, done something like this, of this kind of bigger scale. And, you know, now they're um, in school at the Berklee School of Music studying film score. So it's, it's really cool to be a part of like Jana's early career (laughs) in this. And, and we just worked really well together. Like we just understood each other in terms of what kind of mood and emotion and tone that I wanted for certain scenes. And, and they just dove headfirst into making it happen. And um, so they also won an award at the uh, downtown LA film festival last year for best score. We were able to put out a soundtrack through, awesome. yeah, through bandcamp.com. We weren't able to include everything that is in the movie, but you know, we, we've, included a lot of things and there's certain songs like we did a cover that Jana did sing of uh, just like heaven from mm-hmm. the cure. Yeah. And uh, we were able to clear that for the movie. Uh, so that's in there in the movie. That's the only place you're going to be able to hear it. So, um, but uh, that was a lot of fun and, you know, had its challenges as well. And, uh, but it was, it was really cool to take that particular piece because it's so beloved and also a real like genre like you know a lot of people everybody knows that song right it's mm-hmm. like whether you were in the goth scene or not it's like it comes on the radio we had it playing during rehearsals and like all the kids were like singing along so it's still very much a part of uh, pop culture today, and so I was I was really glad that we were able to do a cover of that song and for Jana to put their spin on it.
0: So I talked to a lot of indie filmmakers over the year, and I know that. Creating an indie film, it can be a long process, can take years sometimes, depending on situations, financial distribution-wise, et cetera. What's really interesting about what happened with this movie is that there seems to be, as the film was being made, a correlation or a synchronization with what was happening in the real world, and specifically yeah. with the Me Too movement. And I think there are strong parallels to be found between what's happening with Joey's character in this movie and some of the things that are happening in real life, especially the relationship she has with Victor as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like, for example, I'll, I've been watching the um, that Nexium documentary on uh, The Vow. I don't know if you've seen that um, on, uh, I haven't. on on HBO. And a big thing about that movie is that it was, that also kind of just sunk – came like as that was breaking, that was really sinking in with the Me Too movement stuff as well. And a big thing in that movie is almost kind of like a um, servitude between the female and male members of that cult. And it seems like in a certain way that Victor was almost kind of like presenting himself as a certain master over Joey, always telling her to reapply her makeup, all this stuff. So while you have these themes going on and that type of character dynamic going on and these real-life things happening as well. Did it just feel like that? This was just like kind of meant to be. That this correlation what was happening in the film to real life. That even though you were going through struggles, even though it was taking a long time to get stuff done, that this is exactly what we wanted to say, and this is now the perfect time to say it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we always wanted to again kind of take that genre, that coming of age genre, and you know, kind of turn it over in a way and um, freshen it up, but me that when everything kind of broke with me too and we had just finished production and we were in our edit and so that was the fall of 2017 and um it had a tremendous amount of impact um even for me you know as a woman director that you know I I consider myself a very strong person in terms of like my expectations and what what I wanted for this movie and the stories that I want to tell but it also like there were some some things in the film where I was like hmm this doesn't land all that well anymore right Mm. um you know you look at those films from the 80s and you know there's some problems with them right and so those are things that we certainly wanted to avoid but it was also like those tropes that that are so ingrained, so institutionalized in you as a storyteller that it's like once Me Too kind of popped open, a lot of people's perceptions of things. It made me critically think about our movie, you know, and and what we were putting on screen, and so there were certain things that we did adjust because of that because certain moments that felt too much. Right. And um, that we pulled back on. Right. And, you know, I think that people like Victor exist in our culture, Mm -hmm. and this is an opportunity to, to recognize that, but uh, you know, and Joey is swept up and swooned by that and, you know, has some difficulty in a way separating herself from that, because he is very engaging. And, you know, I think that's, that matches a lot of teenage experience, you get swept up in the moment. And she's, you know, it has fallen for him. And, uh, but she has these people in her life that are really have her back, right? Her grandparents, ultimately her mom, um, Molly has the character of Molly, her best friend from high school is like really steady, right? She doesn't like make fun of her for changing her appearance. She's always just really has taken care of Joey and protects her. And so, you know, Antonio, some of these new people that in her life are like giving her all the cautionary red flags of like, you know, this guy really is not so good for you. Right. So, um, she, she had some support as a character that sometimes you don't see on screen Mm. and, you know, ultimately, you know, she had to come to that realization herself, but there was just a lot of people like, you know, stepping forward to say, wait a minute, this isn't cool. And, um, you know, and that I think strengthened Joey's transition. Uh, you know, she doesn't she doesn't have this like huge epiphany moment at the end. She, you know, just she kind of settles at a different place in her life. And um, you know, it's it's really exciting to see that like she's on her own, right? And she's got this solid foundation of people that are still there to support her.
0: And, um, you know, when I was doing some research on yourself, Tara, I came across a video that you did uh, about inspiring teachers and you talked about a teacher taught you that um, as you're growing into an artist that mistakes are beautiful. And I think that's a yes. really good mantra to have in regards to what Joey went through with her own journey and that. And um, I'm sure that's something that you keep with you to this day, both as a filmmaker, as a person as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the uh, little thing, your teacher you're referring to is, uh, between myself and um, Mike Colcomb, who was one of my art teachers in college. And he and I are are still friends to this day. And I just, I was so inspired by him. And, you know, I went to college a long time ago. and mm. uh, And I really did feel like he gave me the allowance to be messy because I wasn't necessarily like a really refined, good, fine artist. And I found myself a lot of these art classes with like incredible illustrators and painters and things and I always felt really messy (laughs) with like like I wasn't quite getting it and um but Mike really just like said you know you got to find your own way and and I think that that's something that I've taken forward in my whole life and you know I've always been out there about like things that I don't know and need to gain knowledge on. And I'm not afraid to ask questions and, and seek support in areas that you know are not my forte. And, um, and I think that part of that was that foundation in college of really just saying, go for it, make mistakes and then learn from it, right? And yeah, um, and yeah I think that Joey has that moment as well in her, in, in her journey.
0: Well, My Summer as a Goth out now on demand for people to check out. You can go to Facebook and find the Facebook page. There's also a website, mysummerasagoth.com, and that's got all the links to um, to where you can watch the movie. And I really highly recommend people check this film out because uh, I I really enjoyed it, you know, and uh, it kind of, Brought me back in little ways to some of the mistakes I made when I was a kid. And like we've said, mistakes are beautiful. um, And people should not make the mistake and miss this film. You should check it out right now, um, available on demand. And I thank you very much, Tara Johnson-Medinger, for your time today. And congratulations to the film once again.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.